Hi investors, this is Michael with Investorly. At Investorly, we empower you to invest early in your financial future. We recently launched a conversation with our live podcast series on Twitter. In this episode, we welcome Jake Gallen, aka CatDad, an NFT machine to learn about Mooncats, historically one of the earliest generative NFT projects. Jake and Machine shared great insights into the team behind the project, the Sotheby's auction, and all future prospects of the cats. To stay informed of upcoming episodes and receive our insightful weekly newsletter, subscribe at investorly.substack.com. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Jake, I have uh, my first question for you is, we're Investorly uh, and we're all about investing early. Uh, what is your history with investing and what have you invested early in? Oh, man. All right. So I actually didn't get into investing until uh, 2016. I graduated from UNLV in Las Vegas in 2015. And then I actually got into Forex um, in the middle of 2016. I was working over at uh, one of the nightclubs in Las Vegas, making a decent amount of money. And then I got turned into crypto early 2017. And you know, did the the typical 2017 investor invest, invest in some shit coins, bought some Bitcoin, um, ultimately ended up losing everything in 2018, investing in a private ICO. So I had to basically start all over again um, at that point in time and uh, started buying Dogecoin actually um, all throughout 2019, literally just taking half of what I was making at the nightclub and just buying Doge and Bitcoin for like a year and a half. And then, uh, Earlier this year, at the very beginning, um, sold most of my Doge profits and turned half of that into into Mooncats, and that was my first actual NFT investment too. And uh, turned out um, pretty right so far. I mean, the the, the floor price is kind of uh, uh, the floor is lava, I guess. But we are about to go to Sotheby's, and uh, I had never had so much conviction in something than um, than with Mooncats. It really reminded me of like my Dogecoin play from uh, 2019 and 2020. And it uh, seemed like a surefire thing. I posted today that, you know, I owned an antique store at some first business in 2017 and took a lot of those parallels from um, judging assets and uh, from, a, I guess, a non-fungible standpoint. And uh, now here we are today. So it's really just been investing for maybe a little over five years or so. Well, I like I like that answer, Jake. And honestly, the the, it's unfortunate, but the best lesson you can have, uh, regardless of how much schooling or, or uh, lessons you take, is unfortunately it's losing money. So that's how you that's how you really uh, kind of gain a, a new perspective. But um, I'll I'll toss it to Mike for the next question. Yeah, that was fascinating. I didn't actually know that about you, Jake. But uh, you actually may be the first person that's uh, made cats from dogs. So awesome. Awesome turn from the Doge profits into uh, the Mooncats. Really, that's uh, that could be the title of a book or something. That's amazing. Um, so we we we're gonna dive into it, but we obviously need to talk to Machine. Uh, Machine, we uh, you know myself and and I know the audience. Uh, I hear your name. I see it all the time. Uh, you're a tweeter extraordinaire, uh, massively influential in the NFT space. Tell us what you know. Similarly, when we talk about investing early, what's your history with investing, and what did you invest early in? Um, similar to Jake, I started before crypto with like traditional markets. Um, I traded in a regular like brokerage account, futures and options for a while. Um, it was when I was like a teenager. I started the account under my mom's name at like sixteen, I think. So I've been trading for a while. 
Um, I did obviously didn't really have much capital that I was playing with at the time because it was just like summer vacation money. Uh, it was enough to learn a lot of stuff uh, through like the equities markets and uh, futures markets. I, I traded pretty much everything throughout the years. Um, the first thing that I would like consider myself probably vastly early to like more early than person people would probably be NFTs. Um, I kind of just got interested in, in them from an artist's perspective during the bear market. Saw uh, this stuff about NFTs. It was when Rarible launched their platform and they had like, it was the first time like they 10 X their volume on the Rarible platform, I think in October, uh, 2020. Uh, and I just dived in, uh, like, on the side while I was working my job, I just started making art and started investing in NFTs, got in early to that whole wave. Um, I guess my biggest NFT plays have, that everyone probably knows about would be like Cool Cats. I bought like under 0.1. I sold them too early, um, but I do that with a lot of stuff. Uh, I bought Pudgy Penguins under 0.1. I did not sell those too early. I like sold the actual top on those. I mean, they're going to go higher, but... Um, for now, I sold the top. It actually haven't been my highest like ROI trade that I've made in the NFT space at all. Um, I lost conviction in Mooncats, but the market hasn't priced in what I think needs to be priced in for those for those assets to like return what they should be returned. Like most people don't even realize they're generative art. Most people don't realize that they're all 2017 NFTs. Uh, you can go on and on. So, um, okay. but yeah, that's pretty much my history. Yeah, so so we're gonna go on and on for sure. I'm actually fascinated that that's your your top, uh, you know, seller. I want to just quickly take a second and then throw it back to Danny. And just because I know we have a lot of Mooncat uh, followers, holders, cuddlers in the audience, but we also probably have a lot of NFT interested individuals that maybe don't have Mooncats, maybe don't know. Uh, a little bit about the history and you guys actually probably know uh, a considerable more than I do, but I just want to give a quick background to everybody in the audience. So they understand that basically Mooncat's uh, original NFT launched in 2017 as a NFT machine said, and the project was a pioneer of on-chain generation, fair distribution and user customization. So with the support of the active community, the original development team, uh, which is Ponderware, continues to expand the ecosystem. There's only a total of 25,440 Mooncats. Uh, Ponderware, uh, they've committed to never minting anymore. And of these, there are 96 that are known as the Genesis cats. Those are like the holy grail, uh, essentially, uh, for the most part uh, of the cats. They're the black and white ones, sometimes gray. Uh, 25,344 are rescue cats. Uh, and we'll get into the process there in a minute. Um, originally, there were more Genesis cats planned for release, but uh, a few, you know, 160 were permanently locked Uh in a vote in March 20 of 21. This is just a little bit of a background so you guys understand sort of this project specifically when we talk about uh, the sort of history and the background. I just wanted to fill in because I know a lot of people ask me questions about where did Mooncat start? And this is directly from uh, the website if you guys want to know more. But I think that's important as we get started here talking Mooncats. It's kind of fascinating to hear from you, Jake, that you got started with sort of Forex uh, and then machine sort of futures options. Uh, there's obviously some kind of uh, similarities there to being able to recognize patterns in, in trading. And so uh, just something to kind of learn or think about for those listening. Um, but uh, that's our Mooncat's sort of primer 
let's uh let's just dive in and I'll throw it back to Danny after I ask you, uh, Jake, and I want to learn more about Sotheby's, but what was the moment you sort of realized the potential of NFTs, Jake? Wow. So actually, I didn't even know what NFTs were until hash masks uh, popped up. That was what in like January around. And um, I didn't really understand it at first. And so I kind of sat around trying to understand it. And then I started looking into like digital land and ENS and it started to make more sense. But at the time, that's when CryptoPunks were, I don't know, hitting like close to 10 ETH. And I was like, man, 10K for a JPEG, this doesn't make sense to me. Um, but then I saw Mooncats pop up and the rediscovery and the, the whole story behind it. And that it reminded me a lot of the Bitcoin story. And um, I'd still closely identify with that theory where um, it was free to anybody to, to mint a Mooncat and that it had pretty much disappeared for for a number of years and although there are a bunch of og holders um, it was pretty non-existent and so then the the free distribution and the mad rush um, i'm looking at actually dune analytics right now and there was it says there's there was close to five thousand um different wallets attempting to rescue these moon cats in that like hour or two um, when they were saving the the twenty thousand so um that helped me like the the archaeological uh nft dig which is kind of a big movement now um is something that kind of sat with me pretty well to, to help understand it and then with moon's mooncat specific communities very heavily uh developer driven there's a lot of um technically literate individuals and i'm going to be completely honest like i was not literate in uh, ether scan or anything like that but they've really helped me understand that with um, Midnight Lightning and the Ponderware team and the community members and understanding the the application of NFTs outside of just art and collectibles. And now I'm beginning to, you know, start my own business uh, NFT adventure in Las Vegas. And um, it's become a, a little bit more fruitful for the, for the understanding. And um, now I'm just like as big as ever on NFTs in general. Love it. And, that, and that's really awesome to hear from you because I can give inspiration and hope to anybody listening that look, it was less than a year ago where not just yourself, but many people hadn't even heard of an NFT, had no idea. And to out how far you can go just using your, you know, tools, technology, Twitter to find information and learn and teach yourself really goes to show that anybody can get started, even if it's right now today. Um, and in a year, be in a whole uh, new land, starting a business, have all sorts of NFTs, all sorts of new investments. So really, the idea of investing early, it never ends. You can start investing early in yourself any day. You just got to take initiative. Um, I really liked hearing that from you, uh, Jake. I'm excited to hear more about this uh, new NFT business. Um, and, and Danny, why don't you take it from here? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Um, yeah, that was a great answer there, Jake. I appreciated listening to that. Um, but Machine, this one's for you. And uh, what was the moment that you realized the potential of NFTs uh, personally? And was it something that you you kind of dabbled with at first? Or given your background of, of you know, being a heavy trader, was it like you just jumped right in immediately? Um, it actually wasn't like uh, from like a financial speculation point of view. It was more when I discovered the Rarible platform and then I minted a piece of digital art. I think the kind of thing, the light bulb moment was uh, when you met when you met on Rarible. There's a field that you can type in where you can set the royalties for your art, 
And I kind of realized then, like when I was setting the royalties, like, holy shit, this is like a perpetual, this solves the problem, like of the traditional art world where like an artist before they're famous will sell their artwork for like a dollar and then they'll become famous and it'll be worth millions, but they'll have no like royalty stream from the original piece of artwork because they can't retain their rights to it when they sell it. And that's basically like the, the first moment I was like, Oh shit, this is going to be like very game changing for, for every kind of artist, like uh, for every field you can think of, they, they all have the same problem where like once they sell their intellectual property, they can't retain any like secondary revenue from it. So that was one of the big things for me. And then I guess actually selling my artwork, like when I minted it and then people actually bought it. Cause when I minted, it, I didn't expect anyone to ever buy it. I was kind of just playing around for fun. And then people actually like spent money on my artwork. And I was like, okay, this can be a game changer. Cause I wasn't even an artist at the time. I was like, I would call myself like, uh, I, I do, um, AI art, uh, with machine learning and neural networks. And I was actually like a data scientist, uh, who I would like just study machine learning algorithms for fun. I don't know why. And I started using that to make art. I wasn't, I wasn't like an artist to begin with. I kind of transitioned into that, but yeah, that, that's pretty much where I started. Rarible. So would you, are you still using Rarible? No, the space has largely moved away from Rarible. It was kind of uh, the fad at the time. Uh, it was like in October when they first launched and they did their airdrop, there was kind of a lot of hype around their platform. So I went and checked them out. I, know, I think people still use them. I just don't think they're as common now. Yeah, that's that's what I was asking because I, I feel like Rarible has sort of fallen uh, a little bit deeper into, you got to be really deep into it to use it. Not that many are using it the same way. Yeah, I would probably, I, th I would imagine, I don't know for sure, but I'd imagine their daily users have fallen off a lot. For sure. Okay, so the moment of truth and the Mooncat moment is coming. But one last question before we dive into Mooncat specifically, for both of you guys, and Machine, you can go first since we were just chatting. What was your first NFT purchase, actually? It was actually before, a, it was, I can't even tell you how long ago it was. It was a God's Unchained card. Uh, probably in like 2018 or something. Um, I have no idea what them. I never used them. Um, and then I kind of just, and then I kind of just disappeared from the space for like a whole year. And then the next thing I, the, the, the first thing that I bought this cycle, like during this bull run would have been a Mooncat in March. Uh, it was after they crashed in price. Like they got rediscovered. They went up to one ETH and then they crashed all the way back to like 0.2, I think. And um, I was like dollar cost averaging because I felt like they had a very similar narrative. Uh, not right now, but in a couple of years, they, they're, they'll easily have a similar narrative to CryptoPunks. I mean, they're both like two of the earliest NFT collectibles on Ethereum. They're both like pixel art collections. They're both uh, fixed supply. You can't have any more CryptoPunks. You can't have any more Mooncats. And the art kind of just goes together. Like the pixel... Like the pixel art of the Mooncats kind of just matches the aesthetic of the punks. So it just felt like in a couple years, these are like obviously going to be a pair of NFTs that are like in high regard together. Preach. Why don't you? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with your assessment. And it's fascinating to hear your first, uh, your first purchase, 2018, Gods Unchained. But uh, that goes to show you how much things change. And I want to take that question and throw it right to, to you, Jake. What about you, Jake? What was your first NFT purchase? Uh, everyone in here already knows is uh, Mooncats actually was my first ever NFT purchase. 
So <laughs> went, yeah, went, went super heavy being in, being in crypto for four years. I've realized that in order to, to be a winner or to become somebody, you need to take very concentrated bets into things that you have conviction in. And I've kind of abided by that over the last two to three years with some of the different assets. I can't agree more with that statement. There's a lot of people who have a misconception because like they teach you like the key principle, like the number one principle that every like financially illiterate person knows about finance is that they should diversify. But the thing is diversification is really only like really beneficial once you've already made wealth that you can diversify because the whole point of diversifying is to protect your wealth. It's not for building wealth for building wealth. You like, if you look at all the richest people in the world, everyone over like a hundred million dollars or a billion, either they started a company or they took concentrated bets with conviction in something that they believed in and it paid off. And then after it paid, after you get paid from like a high conviction bet, that's when you want to like diversify and get your 8% guaranteed index fund returns, all that stuff. Guys, I think that's a I think that's a great point, and and also um, even Jim Cramer says uh, said something like that in, in regards to uh, a community question. He said on on CNBC he was talking about if you're in your 20s, you can risk like half of your your overall assets, and then if you're 30s, it can be about 40 to 45 percent or something like that, and incrementally going down as you get older with like more responsibility. Obviously, this is a case by case basis, but you know, especially when you're young, it's it's kind of the time to uh, take a little bit more risk uh, instead of just diversifying everywhere, especially if you don't have uh, too much uh, funds, you know. And also when you diversify into everything, what ends up happening is you don't have conviction in any of your bags because you're just holding like a hundred different things just for the sake of diversifying. And then if anything turns against you, it's way easier to puke a position that you don't know why you're in it. But when you actually have like a high conviction bet and you're like, no, I believe in this, this is, this is like how the future is going to play out it's a lot easier to like hold when the position goes against you. It's a great point. Mike and I were just talking about that earlier um, because we, we believe heavily in a crypto project that right now that is not necessarily um, showing the price action of some of the other ones, but we were just talking, bouncing ideas back and forth about the fundamentals of the project. Has it changed? Has anything, you know, has the, the co-founders, have they, you know, been in trouble in any kind of way or anything like that? And nothing has changed. So the price action isn't a reflection of the actual fundamentals of the project. So, um, but I'll digress on that one. Uh, but Jake, um, what was uh, your very first purchase of, purchase of NFTs was Mooncats, but what was your very, what was your first Mooncat? Which one did you actually rescue? Ooh, um, it's actually a red pure, the, like the character name's called a red devil. Um, it's standing up and I still own it to this day. And uh, I'm kind of just sentimentally attached to it. So, I definitely don't, I definitely don't own my first moon because I bought a floor and I've since like swapped all my floors out for rares. So I'm pretty sure like I swapped it into like my first moon cat into the NFTX pool or something like that. But uh, props to you for holding the first one you bought because I definitely did not have that sentimental attachment i will i i feel that way about like my genesis cat yeah it's dude, when i sold my genesis cat it was really tough uh, to make a few different plays uh from that side but in the beginning even on that rediscovery day um i didn't mint anything and i know machine didn't either um there wasn't really any information onto what was rare or not there was there was like somebody uncovered a, a spreadsheet that was made from 2017 that you had to like manually input numbers and it gave you a rarity score which was now which has been changed since then and the minting like no one knew what the mint numbers were so it was almost just like gambling you're just like taking a shot and i was just like trying to buy whatever i could at the time and then 
cost average on the way down, all the way down to, I believe we got down to 0.11 was the, like the lowest floor at, over the summer. <laughs> that sounds insane. I don't even remember. I stopped looking at it at like 0.2. I was like, okay, this is just ridiculous. So I bought a lot at 0.2 and then just stopped looking at it. Yeah, on, on the way down, it was, so Machine and I kind of had like a, a few a different thesis, although we had the highest conviction, we're probably putting in the most money at that point as he went towards the, the character cats and I went towards 2017 and the 2017s and the early rescues, because that's kind of what I believed in. They're all going to end up being proven right, but that was the the only little ideological difference we had on the, on the way down um, as the, the character cat narratives began to form. I actually loaded up on early rescues as well. I, I actually kind of just bought a little bit. I didn't want because I I knew I couldn't predict the premiums. I've like I feel like pre. This is why I don't like buying rares in general unless you're going to buy like the top of the collection, like the Genesis. Because I feel like um, well, especially with like 2021 projects like Cool Cats and all that. I, at least I have a hard time doing it. I, I premiums like uh for different rare rarity traits are actually more volatile and harder to predict than the NFT floor price itself. So like I can kind of have an idea of like what direction the NFT collection as a whole might be going, but I can't tell you whether like Garfields are going to outperform alien cats. You know what I mean? Because the market is just so irrational and that sort of thing and why it rallies those different assets. So I kind of just bought a little bit of everything. I sold a lot of my early rescues at this point, though, because I kind of was getting annoyed with the narrative that um, the 2021 rescues aren't 2017 NFTs. I just think that's like demonstrably false. Like they're all 2017 NFTs. It's kind of just the market being stupid, in my opinion. So I've taken profits on a lot of the early rescues. I think I only have like uh, I have two day ones left, my Genesis and my Pink Panther. And then I have like a couple 2017s. But yeah. Um, I mostly have character cats. There's so many fascinating points that you guys have made over the last couple of minutes, just listening. And well, I just want to go back for a second to rewind to you, Jake. You talked about the first moon cat you had, the pure red devil. Did you name that cat? No, no, I, I haven't named any of them. To to actually name the cat, um, you have to go into the contract. And uh, once you acclimate them, it makes it very difficult to. But I actually do buy um, named cats that were named in 2017 because I think that's a, a premium that will evolve over time because there's only about 200 and I think it was like 260 or 270 cats that have been named in 2017 that, that were timestamped um, that narrative. So um, those are the only named cats that I really uh, look after or look for. Well, just for the record, I have a named cat named Garfield, but um, that's just for another chat. We'll talk on the side. Um, uh, what about you, Machine? Did, did you name any of the cats or, or what's feeling on that? I did name one cat just for the wolves. It was a cat that was like purple with spots. It's Schrodinger's cat. Or no, I just named it Schrodinger because I thought it was funny. It was like Schrodinger's cat. I don't know why I thought that was funny, but that's the only one I named and I haven't named any since. Do you still have Schrodinger? Uh, I do not still have Shredinger because it was a floor cat and I've switched out all my floor cats. I just got sick of watching people paper hand them like day in and day out. Makes sense. So if anybody's in the audience and wants to have a cat that machine used to own, find Schrodinger and there you go. And according to, to Jake's uh, concept, you have a more valuable cat over time because it's already named, right? My head is going to explode almost because I'm so excited listening to you guys both talk about different things. I mean, it's interesting to hear that you both didn't actually rescue a cat on Mint Day. I remember that day, and that was really my first foray uh, sort of into NFTs. 
And, and so I have a litter myself, but I, I don't know nearly as much as what you guys know. I know I've gotten some friends into it. We're big fans, but to you guys both, and I'll let you go first machine as you uh, are walking home, be safe. What makes the moon cats community unique? Um, what I found interesting, I don't know if this is the same for every community. I might be deeper in this one than others, but at a certain point I noted like, um, out of all the Genesis cat owners, how many of them were like developers, smart contract developers, or how many of them were like uh, people who were very active in the space with like companies that they were starting. And it was like, honestly, like 40% of Genesis cat owners were like people who were notable, like developers, smart con had good smart contracts, like very technical people, or they were people that started, were like starting their own projects. Um, and that was just pretty cool to me uh, just because like I, I think if you bet on technical minds, uh, a lot of times, like that was basically my whole thesis when I was buying Ethereum at $300. I met uh, Vitalik Buterin in person at a crypto conference. And I was just like, this guy is a fucking alien. He's the smartest person I've ever met. And if he isn't going to succeed, then I'm not going to succeed. So I just like put all my money on Vitalik at like $300 Ethereum. And it worked out. So I think just betting on smart people. That's that's usually a good idea. I like that betting on smart. Uh, Jake is a smart person. So Jake, tell us what about what's your opinion? And and you're honestly, I mean, both of you guys are really sort of community leaders, whether you know it or not. But uh, what's in your opinion? What makes the the Mooncat community so unique, Jake? Yeah, I have a very similar thesis with Machine too. It's the the technical minds that surround the community. It is almost half where they have some sort of in depth knowledge within their own project. But what made me double and triple down was Within the first week of discovery, we saw like four or five different tools and websites pop up from community members um, with more, spe more specifically Mooncat Pro. And so I saw that these minds, these brilliant minds were forming around it and uh, computing like these different numbers and figuring out the, the analytics. And it just made me have a lot of conviction and how open the community is. Um, and they aren't afraid to ask the tough questions. Um, with what's happening in the discord or the, the extracurricular things that happened with ponderware and the fractured markets and all of these really complex issues that we're facing in mooncats which still kind of do um are things that are hashed out with the the brilliant minds and I, I i'm not in too many other nft communities but i haven't really seen anything else replicated to its sort I'm getting a lot of the requests for people that want to come up and, and ask questions. Guys, we will bring you up uh, in a little bit. But uh, if you need a question or you have something right on uh, your mind this minute, you can always send me a message and I'll try to ask for you. But I want to keep this conversation going with the idea around someone in the audience being brand new or someone comes into uh, the NFT space, doesn't know anything about Mooncats, but they're listening. Where uh, should they start? I mean, you guys each have your own ideas, but where does someone, if they're new to, to, to the Mooncat community or world and, and they want to learn more and get involved, uh, Jake, I'll let you take that one. Yeah. So if you're going, if you're looking for information, the best place to go is into the Discord. Um, there's a lot of different community tools and Ponderware has, has been growing and there's a lot of helpful things. Uh, my YouTube channel, um, I try to cover all of the different topics. Um, because the Mooncat uh, valuation system is much different from what you see in most of the, the newer projects from this year that are basically in CryptoPunks, where they're based around seven traits, and you could kind of easily distinguish what's the most rare and what's not. 
Uh, Mooncats are very similar to um, Rare Pepe's where it's a community-driven uh, evaluation system. There's no specific metric and everybody might find different evaluation metrics uh, more important than others. But in terms of purchasing, I, rec I always recommend two things. Um, if you could buy a 2017 one, if you have the funds, go that route. If not, just start with floors and then um, figure out what your what your palate is, what your taste. And if you want to dive into pures or clones or um, the character cats, like there's so many different uh, narratives that are being developed and that are ongoing um, every single day that that's to me what makes it really special. But the easiest way to start is in the Discord or just buy a floor cat and kind of get your feet wet and learn from there. That's great. I'm going to ask Machine uh, the same question in one second, but I just wanted you guys to know I pinned uh, one of uh, Jake's uh, tweets uh, that has his YouTube link uh, in it right at the top of this uh, spaces. So if you guys want to make sure to follow Jake uh, in, in, on YouTube and actually participate in this giveaway, I believe that's still going on for one of his character cats. I know you've done a thread about character cats. Uh, a fascinating and really good read. You just continuously put out good community information around Mooncats, uh, and, and that's uh, always been helpful to myself, but I know to the community, so I appreciate that. But I pin that to the top, and I want to ask Machine the same thing. I mean, in your perspective, what what um, what should someone do? Um, I would go to the Discord. I would mm, mess around with a floor if you don't have a lot of capital, just because, in my opinion, they're all 2017 cats. And I've watched the 2017 Premium for like the rescues from 2017 it fluctuates quite a bit sometimes it's like 3x the floor sometimes it can be as high as like 6x the floor and it's and it's not always going up it's kind of just it's gone back and forth over the last few months so people who like paid the price for like a high premium 2017 cat when it was like 6x the floor and now it's probably like three and a half x the floor so i just think you should probably just buy whatever you like um like whatever you personally enjoy i've always had that thesis about nfts is anything anything that you someone else out there with your similar taste who also likes that thing there's like you're not the only person in the world with like that taste so i just what i find is cool and what i find is cool is all the character cats that look like famous cats from like traditional media so like the cats that they're a pink panther that's pretty cool because everyone knows what pink panther is so you people who aren't as technical as us they might not care about like metadata or contract dates or any of that stuff they might just be like oh i watched pink panther when i was a kid i want to own a pink panther moon cat i'm gonna buy it it's it might just be that simple and then same with um all the other character cats um i also think aliens and zombies are just ludicrously underpriced the more that i think about it because they're like less than like alien and zombie cats are basically the moon cats that have the same shade as the alien punks and as the zombie crypto punks. And they have a lower floor than like Garfields and Pink Panthers, which is kind of crazy. Because if you think at a certain point, the crypto have to cave and buy these assets, they're not going to be stubborn enough to watch these things run to like 100 ETH. And right now, a lot of the crypto punks have this idea that moon cats aren't as valuable as the punks. So like they're not. They're not really ape. There's there's one alien owner. There's a wallet that owns uh, CryptoPunk, and he's the only. There's only one person who's like has a small enough ego who isn't like. Uh, I feel like a lot of the people who aren't like supporting Mooncats is it's largely out of like ego for like their existing holdings that they have. Um, but anyway, this this um, alien punk owner he loaded up on alien Mooncats like three months ago. He bought like ten of them, I think. 
So there's just this wallet out there that has an alien moon punk and like 10 alien moon cats. And I just think that guy's a fucking genius, whoever he is. Anytime I put a survey out for what's somebody's favorite character cat, it ends every single time. So um, there's some about the fascination of um, alien punks being the like prestigious Holy Grail NFT and um, the alien punk owner buying all of those um, alien cats, which really jump-started the narrative. And then it really shows in, in the voices of uh, the community as well. What's crazy about that? Oh, sorry. One more thing. What's crazy about that alien punk owner is he's not like he's not like someone who aped in at the top and bought an alien punk for like 2000 ETH. He bought that alien punk all the way back in 2017, and he hasn't <laughs> sold it. He bought it for like nothing. Uh, so and he also oh and I and I went at the prices he got his alien mooncats for, and he bought those things for literally nothing. He bought them for like 0.3 ETH each, and now they're like a three ETH floor or two ETH floor. Talk about the opposite of paper hands. It's the, uh, I mean, alien hands, I guess, is what we should call it. That's just, there's a lot of foresight involved there, <laughs> whoever that guy is. Got to say, that's pretty genius. But uh, Machine, thanks a lot for um, providing so much insight into, you know, kind of how to get started. And, um, you know, sometimes, yeah, it's not it's not about the metadata or the um, or anything else. It's just about the, the physical aspect of it and kind of nostalgic aspect of it you know maybe what what do you enjoy about it what do you like about um from what you see uh but jake i want to turn it to you and i believe today is the day for the sotheby's auction is that the maybe the start of the sotheby's auction with mooncats and can you expand on that yeah i can expand to, to my knowledge without um going against the the nda or anything like that is the the, the auction has been moved back to um next week and sotheby's is going to um announce everything tomorrow um so we'll get a lot of uh information on that it's going to be uh an eight it's eight days long the option for the lots i have a moon cat lot and um, 888 is also selling um, one of his genesis cats so my lot is the three moon cats um number 10 um which you see my profile picture alongside the boutique item which um is something that i'll speak on uh, in depth um in a little bit um, number 183 and number 220, and they're all considered day one moon cats, which means they were all rescued on the first day on August 10th, um, right after the contract was deployed. And so that's a narrative that's um, taken off within the um, 2017 collection, because kind of how I see 2017s is a completely different market from the 2021s, which is a little bit different from machine is I've noticed this trend in a lot of the other older NFTs too is that the mint date is almost like the the lifespan, I guess. Even though they're all from a different contract, I think um, people like to ascribe value to something that was created and then held on to, like we just spoke on, as with the uh, the alien punk owner. Um, so some of these cats have been in a wallet of some sort for for about five years now or four years now, and um, that and within the the 2017 collection of 3,365 cats, you have the day one cats, which are uh, sub, sub mint 491. And so that's the lot that I'll be selling because I wanted to add some uh, notoriety to outside of Genesis cats because those 96 cats have been getting all the attention, right? Machine has one. I had one that I sold to Pentoshi. Logan Paul has one. Um, Fubar and a bunch of other uh, great people. Um, some in this chat as well have a Genesis cat, and I just thought there's a lot more uh, value. There's a lot more value in Mooncats outside of just the Genesis ones, and uh, 
Michael, who is from Sotheby's, messaged me and really agreed on it and wanted to more importantly share the story of Mooncats more so than actually like try to generate a massive sale, although we all want that. Um, he actually led in in messages saying like the narrative and the story is much more. So there'll be uh, five to seven paragraphs on the Sotheby's website tomorrow um, going through the entire um, story that I had fact checked by Ponderware to make sure that everything was correct. And then another two paragraphs um, describing the boutique and the accessories and the importance of the uh, boutique item, which is displayed in my profile picture right now. The boutique, I wanted to touch on in a minute. Sorry, Danny, I just had to chime in there. I have one quick question for you, Jake, because I've been thinking about this all the time when I hear you talk about the Genesis and, and you sold it. Can you give us your, your initial reaction to the actual sale of it? I mean, there had to have been a mix of emotions there, right? Yeah, so I actually made a YouTube video about this, and I was very conflicted because I, I like Machine, I wanted to hold this Genesis cat for a long time because they are going to massively appreciate and value um, over the, the longevity. But there was a few things out at the time. Um, first is I was in communication with Pentoshi, who had, had 250,000, I think almost 300,000 followers at the time. Um, I had purchased the... Uh, Mooncat for 22 ETH, and he was offering 70, and he was pretty firm on 70. But at the same time, uh, Mr. Moo, which is the number six cat, um, which is also the first named cat and a clone, and depending on who you talk to, which we could also talk about, um, the first ever named NFT. Um, and to me, that seemed completely undervalued. And so Ponderware had put Mr. Moo up for auction. Um, started at 50 ETH and was ending at 25. And at the time of that sale, uh, Mr. Moo was down to 29 ETH and there was a few hours left in the auction. So I saw that if I could make that sale and then buy Mr. Moo and then have some more capital to allocate and distribute in the Mooncat community, it seemed like a, a much larger play. And so with those funds, I ended up Purchasing a 2021 uh, or 2020 Mooncat where there's only three in existence and the number 10 Mooncat, which is uh, in my profile picture. So um, it sound, sounded pretty crazy during the time. I actually had a friend with me that I had to ask to, to see, like, you know, if I sell this thing for 200K and try to flip it, does this sound crazy? Am I out of touch with reality? There's so many different things going on in my mind. But um, to put the Genesis Cat um, on the grand stage of, in front of 250,000 traditional crypto investors. And I saw had a feeling that Pentoshi and we talked about in the uh, agreement of selling it that he would uh, promote it um, to his followers. And so it, it sounded like I was, yes, I was taking one for the team and maybe losing out on a lot of potential gains, but then I was allocating to different uh, areas of the Mooncat community, which therefore would uh, get some, some publicity. So it was taking a little bit more of a risk on approach, but as of today, it seems like it was the right approach. From most of the Mooncat community, uh, thank you for being community first. I mean, that's a huge move on your part. Uh, and we uh, certainly appreciate it. And also, with the note on Sotheby's uh, announcement probably coming tomorrow, or it sounds like it will, uh, and obviously next week, it sounds like the auction kicking off. That's a very exciting for not just yourself, but obviously the entire Mooncat community. And I'm sure the big, uh, the bigger thing is the community sort of being excited, not just uh, for Mooncats, but obviously for you and uh, wishing you the best over that period of time. So that's exciting. What, what about you, Machine? 
Uh, your thoughts uh, when it comes to your your Genesis cat? I mean, you have one. I'm uh, I'm guessing from our conversation here that you have one Genesis cat. And, and sort of, what, what's your thoughts about this whole next uh, set of sort of narrative and uh, in, in auctions uh, with Sotheby's? Um, I didn't even know 888 was selling a Genesis. I think that's dope. Uh, very cool. I had no idea. Um, I, yeah, I only have one Genesis. I guess I'm probably most known for uh, bottom ticking the Genesis market. Uh, um, it was when Moodcats were at like a point eighteen ETH floor. They were like they broke under point two, and then someone was like panic selling a Genesis cat for like multiple ETH less than everybody else had theirs listed for. And someone it was fourteen ETH is what they listed it for. And it, it's to to this date my biggest NFT purchase I ever made. Um, and I just said, fuck it. I'm doubling down, bought a Genesis. And then the floor for the, I bought a white Genesis. It's the one that Logan Paul and 888 own. The floor for the white Genesis right now is 215 ETH. And I bought it, uh, like six months ago. So it's one of my better plays in the moon cap market. Um, I would say that's probably, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it, it worked out. Uh, what, what's actually notable about my Genesis, though, and there, this is something that's worth noting. It's not just mine. There's like, I don't know, Jake might know the number better than me. I think there's 16 Genesis cats that are under Mint 100, which are like day one, day one moon cats. So not only do they have like the narrative of being like the first mints on the contract, uh, the day one mints, but they also have the narrative of being like one of the I forget the total number as well. It's like one in, of the 90 Genesis cats that exist. Um, so you have to, like two forms of rarity there. Uh, and that's the floor for that uh, was 333 ETH this morning, which is like a day one Genesis moon cat was, three, was 333. I just posted mine for 280 ETH. I kind of undercut the day one Genesis floor, but... Uh, now that I hear that 888 is selling his, I might unlist mine, to be honest. The one that 888 is selling is not a sub 100 either. I believe it's like number, it's in the thousands. So it's, yeah, it's definitely less rare um, in terms of compared yeah. to NFT machines. Yeah. Uh, I had no idea he was selling it. I'm probably going to, I'm probably going to have to be honest until he sells until I want to see, because there hasn't been a Genesis sale since Logan Paul's and it was 160 ETH for a white Genesis and it was not uh, day one either. It was above, uh, it was a higher mint. Uh, so there hasn't been like a day one Genesis sale and I don't know how long. <laughs> um, so I, I'm, I kind of, I feel like I'm a little bit scared to be the first one to dip my, to put my neck out. And I don't want to be the first one to sell like a day one Genesis Mooncat in a massive run. So I don't know. I believe mine was actually when I sold the Pentoshi, that was number 90. It was right next to yours, which is number 91. I think that was the last uh, sub. I think I think that was the last. So how much did you sell it to him for? For 70. And then I think Mooncat2878 um, also bought the one that Pondora sold. That was 69. I believe it was 69 ETH, um, which was. Was that a Genesis? It was a Genesis one. Yeah. I believe it's number 87 or something like that. Gotcha. Fascinating. We had some break. I mean, basically breaking news. NFT machine is going to delist his uh, his Mooncat, the Genesis, because of. Uh, <laughs> I only listed it because it's a pain to sell all these smaller NFTs. I get liquidity, and it's like, I I can sell all these small NFTs, but it takes so long to do. I'd rather, if I could get a big sale uh, around the Sotheby's auction, it would just make my life easier. I think. I don't know. 
Well, whatever you decide to do, we'll we'll definitely be watching. And uh, you know, best of luck, no matter uh, what you decide. I want to take a quick question before I send it back to Danny uh, from the audience, and this one is from Midi Punks, who asks both of you, and we'll start with Jake. Uh, do Jake and NFT Machine think the unofficial rapper holds the entire collection back? To to give a little clarity, there, guys. Uh, Mooncats were ERC twenty ish token, uh, and now there's essentially two separate uh, rappers that exist: the unofficial one, uh, which is not associated with Ponderware and the team, uh, and the one that Ponderware created, the acclimated one. Uh, that's for the audience, so you understand. Uh, you can essentially get your Mooncats in different areas. So, are we going to be okay with three different types of tokens? And does it sort of yeah, the initial question of set the entire project back? What's your thoughts? Um, yeah, the unofficial wrapper has been a big uh, pain in the ass, um, just to, to sum it up easily. So the, the cats that are in the unofficial wrapper are real ERC-20 cats from the original collection. Um, but the wrapper was made by an independent dev. And so a lot of people actually get wrecked because they look at the unofficial wrapper and they see the low mint numbers on there. But that's actually just the order that they were wrapped in the unofficial wrapper. And you know what's crazy? You know what's crazy about those buyers? I thought they were wrecked too. Have you seen that they're actually getting liquidity on their low mint? Uh, right? Because people are still making the same mistakes on the unofficial wrap. Like, there's people that were that should have definitely been wrecked because they bought like a low ID mint on the old unofficial, and it means nothing basically. But there, there's people that are actually finding exit liquidity for that position. Eventually, someone's going to get wrecked on that position. But yeah, yeah, it's 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 been a big pain in the ass, and Pondor is very aware of it as well. And they've reached out to OpenSea a handful of times to get the verification badge removed, and apparently, this is just rumors. Is that the guy who um, is the independent creator created the independent rapper is friends with the guy from OpenSea, so they refused to do it um then they told ponderware if they get it under 2000 in the unofficial rapper they'll remove the verification badge which still hasn't happened yet but ponderware is making active um, moves to try to send out bids to um acquire the unofficial rapper and then use them in marketing purposes or dump them in the nft 20 pool so it's going to be a pain in the while for a while but it's it seems like for the acclimated rapper we're going to tap out around eighteen thousand cats and there's two thousand in the unofficial rapper and then about five thousand unwrapped um so that's why i try to, to just have a lot of education surrounding the unofficial rapper but it's still um i think a little bit on open seas end to either remove the verification badge or just not have it displayed because uh, it still still continually happens. So it's just one of a few pain points that um, need to be fixed. Uh, another one was um, up until about a month and a half ago, Pondor didn't have the admin keys to the Discord um, because it was created by uh, Justin and um, Alan and a few other people. And so that was uh, also prevented Ponderware from marketing. Now they're in control. Um, they've, they've had it for about a month and a half. And they got access finally to the at Mooncat Rescue um, account on Twitter. And so they're making a lot of um, activations. But a lot of, uh, a lot of new buyers think that um, Pondware hasn't done that much. It's just because they haven't been able to. But we are seeing a lot of um, active moves towards it. But that's why the, the floor continually, um, quote unquote, gets wrecked. It's just there's been just a lot of uh, severed aspects of Mooncats in, in total. 
I actually think it's less of a big deal than it was like a couple months ago because the whole I I even warned I even warned everyone like when they discussed bringing on a new rapper how how it was going to play out. Everyone thought I was fudding, even though it was like my largest NFT bag. I like I had no incentive to like I didn't want to fud. I was trying to help people by explaining what was going to happen. But basically, there's a concept in financial markets of like sticky liquidity, like liquidity being sticky. In other words, liquidity doesn't like liquidity is not going to migrate unless it has an incentive to do so, because there's like gas costs involved with like moving and migrating the contracts for all the holders. And I was one of the ones who like stuck out and I, I, I didn't migrate for a long because there was no incentive to migrate until basically what has to happen is the new market has to flip the old market and liquidity. You have to build. You have to kind of build in some level of incentive that can bring it to the new market to flip the old and liquidity. And as soon as that happened, as soon as there was more acclimated cats than there were on the old wrapper, that's when I went and I migrated everything because it, that, at that point it made sense. But I, that's why I think it's not a big deal anymore because the vast majority of the like the trade secondary uh, market is trading on the acclimated wrapper. I think if you look at the volume, the unofficial wrapper hardly ever trades, maybe like a couple times a day at most, even when it's busy. Uh, but the um, ac the acclimated the Ponderware official one has like eighteen thousand cats, the majority of the liquidity, and it trades most of the time as like the default. So I don't think it's a big problem anymore. But it was a pain in the ass for like the last six months, while like there was like very little incentive for migrating liquidity. But we kind of already overcame all of that. So. And and I'll just say uh, before I give it back to Danny that just uh, ponder where the team has sort of done some of what you said specifically, Jake, and also Machine. They sort of have incentivized and have begun to incentivize you to make sure that you've acclimated your cats. And we'll get to that, I think, when we talk a little bit about uh, the future and sort of loot prints as, as an early sign of sort of the benefits to acclimating and such. But Danny, you want to take it from here? Thanks, Mike. Um, uh, Jake, uh, this question is for you. And just to kind of wrap up the Sotheby's, uh, Sotheby's talk there, uh, where can I, f just from a personal standpoint, I want to, I want to be able to see the the auction. Where can I, where can I access the auction? And um, you know, if somebody wants to to purchase some of these, uh, some of the Mooncats or maybe other NFTs that Sotheby's will be listing, um, how can they access that? Yeah, so so from what we've been told, um, registration will begin tomorrow on the website. Uh, what time they're making that announcement or it's going live, I'm unsure. Um, it was supposed to happen yesterday, but um, they wanted to give more time for, I guess, themselves to, to set up. But next week, they also have plans for Twitter spaces and a bunch of other marketing events. But from what I've been told, everything is supposed to be live on the website tomorrow. If you want to begin registering and um, potentially bid on the 53 different lots that will be um, at Natively Digital 1.2. Wow, fascinating. Okay. Thanks a lot, Jake. Uh, Mike, go ahead. Yeah, so what I want to do is I want to actually uh, let a question from the audience come up before we transition to the future of Mooncats. And we've got a bunch of requests, so I'm just going to randomly pick out and bring to the stage. Cold Plunge, you want to come up? And let's see, getting lots of requests now. How do you do? How are you? Welcome. Thank you. you. No, not really. Honestly, I was just, uh, I've just been listening. I'm getting some work done and just listening to you guys in the background. And um, I don't have any moon cats, but you know, the longer I think about it, the longer I'm like, why don't I have a moon cat? Um, but I have a lot of pixel cats 
so whenever I have like some spare change, I'm always like browsing for pixel cats. But I feel like all cats need to be on the same team and all pump each other's bags. So what what do you guys think it is a good like entry level moon cat? Let's let's let the uh, the, the guest and the community leader here, the man that Sotheby's asked for an auction, to talk about that, right, Jake? Yeah, uh, easiest way is again just start with the floor. Um, if you're trying to find some differentiation for the cheaper side, um, look for a pure coat if you can find one near the floor price. Um, and then second would be a tabby, which is a striped cat. Um, and from the if you could find two of those coats in whatever color you prefer. Um, orange seems to be the most valuable color and then um, depending on the, the character cats but if you just want right now the there's some cats listed around 0. 0.8 0. 0.9 um, it'd be a, a pretty good time to to get in right now but um, pure and tabbies seem to be most popular um, and there are people who list those around the floor price maybe because they're just unaware of the premium that exists or um, they just need instant liquidity, but those opportunities tend to present themselves fairly often. Word, yeah, cool. I'm 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 just scrolling through here right now, and yeah, it it's weird because with the moon cats too, like all of a sudden you see one that has a rainbow over it, and then like you see one that has a mask on. It's uh, yeah, and then one with a guitar. What? How did how did that come to be? Like, were they originally like that, or? I'll, I'll cover that. Um, so it de I guess this depends on what rarity system you're looking at. Um, some people use rarity tools and um, I highly, if you're, if you're looking for rare moon cats, I highly uh, recommend against that because their system tends to um, favor accessories. I don't know what their system is. You should use Mooncat pro, but they're, uh, they're Basically, the accessories right now, they don't really add a premium outside of maybe one or two specific mm -hmm. items themselves. It's been more of an experimentation and testing ground. So um, I will, those are just more for, for preference. Um, so they shouldn't add that much value unless you really like it. There are some people that are paying a significant premium, which they're basically just paying a convenience fee because you could just go ahead and buy them. The boutique store itself that was added um, July 7th, I believe, of this year. And it was one of the first ever uh, customizable, fully on-chain um, assets. And so the these boutique items will have some sort of uh, specific designation in the upcoming games. But Pondor wanted to add something a little bit different. Maybe it was to combat the, the profile pick hype or they just wanted to be just do everything that they have always done and just be innovative and and front and center but uh as of now boutique items should not carry a premium unless until we see much uh larger designers come in or if um, people like digivatar tus tusk who are the two leading designers um build a bigger brand and reputation but that's one of the reasons why i built this this specific boutique item with Digivatar was that um, this one specifically I'll just talk about for a second is Sotheby's branded. Um, so it'll be the first ever uh, boutique item on chain that's a, for customizable assets that's been branded by a, a real world brand and it's been approved by them. And so like what the premium of this boutique item specifically will, will fetch in the auction, I don't know. Will the, will the buyers even realize the um, like that this item is time ever kind of thing that's by Sotheby's. 
Um, so there's still a lot of experimentation happening with the accessories as of now, unless this auction catches a very massive premium because of this specific item. Um, I would just, I wouldn't evaluate accessories with that much of a premium over maybe 10%. Yeah, that's good. And we actually wanted to get to talk about the boutique and some accessories in a little bit, and we're going to get there in a sec. Let's make sure to just get back to, uh, to let Danny, I know he's been waiting patiently. Thank you, Danny, for the question. Uh, so you want to prompt a question for, uh, for, for Jake, go for it. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Mike. I appreciate that. And, uh, thanks, thanks for, you know, everybody in the community that's sticking with us here. We've been on for a little over an hour here, um, all about, uh, moon cats and NFTs in general. And, um, we've covered a lot. Uh, most recent one about the moon cats was the Sotheby's auction, which Jake spoke about. Uh, but I want to uh, turn it to Jake again and ask him, what, what's your thoughts on the Mooncat um, accessories uh, and also loot prints, uh, which are kind of, um, you know, additions that you can um, put to the Mooncats. Uh, can you speak on that? Yeah, I'll start with the boutique first. Um, kind of touched on it, but I'm actually really bullish on it. I think it's a very innovative idea, and I think it's something that will be um, instilled into many NFT collections in the near future and will probably just become a normalized thing, um, especially that they're on chain. It allows you to to customize um, your asset existing there. As we know, Mooncats, they all look very similar um, because the, the e nearly even distribution from the, the color hues and the patterns and the expressions and so on and there forth. But it allows um, community members to uh, gain some wealth by designing and contributing. Uh, one of the cool stories that I like to touch on is Tusk Tusk, who um, started the zombie boutique store without a cat at all. And now he owns multiple cats and actually just became a Ponderware team member as of yesterday. So um, it gives people another opportunity to enter the market and to utilize their creative ability. And I just, I, like I said, I just think in the near future, there's our own designers that exist or a, a real world name brand that wants to come in and um, curate a specific Mooncat. Like, let's say we'll use Coca-Cola, for example, and we'll say in the future, the Mooncat floor is 5 ETH, right? So Coca-Cola wants to come in and create a Coca-Cola can and the Mooncat floor is, I don't know, 10 grand or 15 grand. They could come in, Coca-Cola asset customize it now it's fully on chain and then they can sell it or market it or whatever it is and now that cat is the coca-cola cat or whatever it is so i think there's just so much room for um creation i know a lot of there have been a handful of influencers that have been against it and when i talked with machine about it um on a different occasion it was more so just because the new 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 people new buyers who were coming in and didn't understand um, the distinction between it and we're uh, ev valuing these boutique items with a much higher premium than what they actually are. Um, so it just needs a little bit more education. Um, but I, like I said, I think it's a trend that that Pondaware has created is one the first or one of the first for customized wall chain assets. And it's going to be very normalized over here in the next maybe few years as the NFT space begins to evolve. And then what's cool with loot prints, um, obviously they're a derivative of loot, which, which was a big trend and there's many other derivatives of loot. It's basically a blueprint of a spaceship, which is gonna be utilized in two games, which are here supposed to be launching estimated time of quarter one in 2020. Sports ball has been one of them and deep space. Um, so basically these, 
these spaceships, they have a few different rarity metrics, which are going to be right. They were free to claim and they will, the, the claim period will end on October 24th and you could take these spaceships and they will be utilized and they will be in combination with the boutique store. Um, some hints that Pandora is given is maybe I'm just going to throw out a random accessory, the, um, the suits, right? So any moon cat who has a suit and a loot print can participate in this specific game in or the specific subsection of the game, which I think is really cool because it, it, it builds different communities and playful fun. But they've mentioned that there's going to be more maybe a token, which is all in discussion. Will that will be yield generating? Probably. In what manner? I'm uncertain. And that's just me speculating to see the trend. Um, Pondware is very good at understanding trends as they came out with loot prints literally with like a week or two after uh, loot was created. So I think it's fun. There's no rarities. Uh, there's no rarity system yet for all of these loot prints, but we, we've been told that the name has some sort of rarity metric. The base has been told there's four different, there's a mech suit, a submarine, a tank, and one other one. The mech suit's the most popular or the rarest one. There's The colors have a rarity metric, but we don't know the specific stats and they're not as defined until after October 24th, once, every, once all of the loot prints have been revealed. But I think this just like, just me speculating more. I think in the future you'll see loot, loot prints and mooncats sold in combination as a bundle um, here in the here in the near future once OpenSea finally verifies uh, loot print because they're they're behind um, pretty pretty hard because they're understaffed. But there's a lot of uh, speculation, but it's also just a lot of fun. We don't know um, what exactly it'll be, but we just have to trust Ponderware at the end of the day. Well, no, there's a lot of a lot of speculation, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of uh, excitement, intrigue in the loot prints. And just a friendly reminder to anybody in the audience, two things. One, if you haven't uh, minted your free loot print, make sure to do that, as Jake mentioned, prior to uh, the 24th, when uh, you'll no longer be able to do that. Again, it's free. Only cost the only cost is uh, the gas fee. So make sure to try to do it when gas fees are low, usually late at night. Uh, depending on your location, uh, and also if you're in the um, if you're in the market for some moon cats, let's say, make sure that you uh, kind of check on OpenSea. All you have to do is go to the prop. You can go on the left side of uh, and check to see if the loot print is unclaimed or claimed in the different moon cat that you're looking at. Because if you can get a moon cat, let's say a floor cat, but you can also get one that has an unclaimed loot print, you'll be actually getting your loot print there. So look for the unclaimed floor cats if you can. That's just a little alpha that I've uh, been watching uh, if you're looking to get some more loot prints. I've got a bunch of loot prints. It's kind of fun to see the different bays and the different you know cruiser tank sub and really have no idea what's going to happen, but they have fun names and I'm sure it'll be a fun game when it gets around uh, early next year. And that could also be a potential way for anyone looking to get involved with the moon cats and ponderware and all of it, the loot print floor uh, for the three bays is 0.035 ETH. So it's it's quite you know low, and pretty much anyone that really wants to get in with a little bit of uh, funds can. I'll let you uh, take over, Danny. Yeah, thanks a lot, Mike. Um, so I'll, I'll turn it to you again, Jake. So uh, outside of moon cats, are there other other NFT projects that you're incredibly bullish on? Yeah, uh, it's actually the one that's in my header, uh, Rare Pepe's. I've started to investing in pretty heavily. Um, so if for those who are 
I'm in here since the beginning. I went from Dogecoin to cats, now from cats to frogs, um, which is a typical crypto narrative. Uh, and the reason why is because rare pepes remind me a lot of Mooncats, actually. So a very community-driven uh, NFT collection where the uh, value and the premiums are determined by the community member, the dev team, which is what you see in a lot of the, the newer collections. So there's, uh, there's more subjectivity and ambiguity, which a lot of um, newer buyers don't really prefer, but as somebody who's owned an antique store, I kind of, I tend to, to flourish a little bit in there. And um, to me, it's a little bit more, it's a little bit more, I guess, um, it captures my intellectual curiosity a bit more. And it's also an iconic NFT collection that was built on Bitcoin. And as we know, um, Rare Pepe is one of the, or Pepe is one of the most, popular memes on the internet. I saw a tweet the other day, I forget it, but Pepe is kind of like the Mickey Mouse of the internet. And I kind of identify with that pretty hard. I, I took my same thesis from Mooncats and started buying the earliest rare Pepe's, the ones from 2016, which is the earliest year. And then look for um, culturally or community, culturally relevant or community cards, which again, I'll keep making the parallel to Mooncats um, because this is what I'm identify with is in rare Pepe's, there's what's called community cards, which are kind of like inside jokes that were built within the community. So a lot of there's a lot of cards that are rare Pepe's, which is Pepe the Frog attached to some sort of artist or community member, some sort of inside joke, which is very similar to character cats um, with moon cats, where those were just determined again by narratives and conversation that mostly has happened within the Discord or um, some sort of buying allocation, like with the the alien punk owner who's buying alien cats. So those are kind of like ongoing. And so that's something that I'm really bullish on and which also happen to be selling at Sotheby's as well. They're selling a, a Nakamoto card, which is the first um, rare Pepe, which is Pepe the Frog on top of uh, Dorian Nakamoto, who people think is Satoshi, which is just kind of like a ever going inside joke. So outside of those two, I still try to dabble um, in the the earlier archaeological. I have some crypto arte, which is also an early generative uh, NFT from 2018, which also predates um, autoglyphs. I also have some land um, in a fairy in a few of the metaverses, and um, that's pretty much it. But I, there are a bunch of NFT projects that I would like to to own at some point in time. I just took a, a very sizable bet on Mooncats because it just seemed like such a an obvious and glaring opportunity, and I couldn't uh, prevent myself from missing out on this opportunity that was staring in front of me. I completely agree with you on that one. If you find something that uh, you think has amazing potential, just definitely go with it. But it sounds like you're kind of starting a zoo. Is that right? A virtual zoo almost. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so we got we got dogs, we got cats, we got frogs. I mean, this is like literally the trend of the 2021 uh, PFPs, which um, seems like it's funny because in DeFi, it was all about food. And then in in NFTs, it's all about animals. So what if in social tokens or gaming or whatever the next trend is in crypto is going to be very fascinating to see. But it's also just glaringly obvious, just cat cat NFT, like dogs tend to um, be the the winning uh, meme coins, right? You have Sheeb and Doge and whatever other derivatives of that. And then there's 4 million cat NFTs. So it just seems so obvious. All the price is low. 
um, our, our, the acclimated owners just crossed over 4,900 um, a day or two ago, and we're onboarding about anywhere from 10 to 30 new owners per day. And so as this never continues to go up, I just will continually stay bullish until that uh, active or the unique owners um, begins to um, de degrade. That's uh, nice. I like that, Jake. Um, I wanted to ask something actually that you touched on. Uh, NFTs that you that you find are community driven uh, with with prices versus project driven. How do you how do you spot that, and what what exactly do you look for? Yeah. Um, so I think it comes with very. It's very similar to just the whole rediscovery thing, um, right? Mooncats were rediscovered. Rare Pepe's were quote kind of rediscovered, or they just got more light on it. Same with Crypto Arte was very similar where. Um, it also has mints across four years instead of five. So 2018 through 2021 is crypto arte. Um, and it was kind of just revived by people on some looking through the chatter. Um, but also a lot of these community driven ones have an absence of, of heavy influencer shill. I mean, at least up in, in the beginning. So, um, and not to, to rag on anybody or anything like that. Um, some of the newer projects you see, uh, some heavy, um, influential figures shilling the project and that for me is generally an immediate um, turnoff unless that influential figure is somebody who has some sort of um, prestige within the nft space but um it's you you just really have to do your own searching and i tend to find that the less information that exists on a project that's community driven is probably the better um you'll probably find the highest upside it is a little bit more of a risk and you do have to be a little bit more contrarian in your in your views and have a lot more conviction in yourself in the and you have to have diamond hands or in the uh Moon Cat community would say diamond paws. So um it it all just comes down to the community, the chatter, Twitter, Twitter is this say all be all, then Discord's number two, and then generally look for cats like that and YouTube's fourth, but you just, you have to be really quick on it. And this archeological dig, I think is beginning to come to an end now. So I think what's going to happen is we're going to see um, some sort of NFT um, archeological um, pump. And now that we're at the end, I think the name of coin is like as far back as it goes with the, the eggs and the blockheads is now that everything's been rediscovered at least 95%. Um, those who have a lot of money are going to find certain collections to allocate most of their wealth that they think will just continue to be a blue chip and and uptrend. So I think the next for quarter four, I think is going to be big for for the historical NFTs. Which ones is still to be determined, but I, I do think Mooncats is and Rare Pepe's are both going to be um, big winners in that aspect. Yeah. So so Jake. The rare peppies thing, I, I've seen that myself in uh, the last month or so or two months, really, that some of the people I see in the know really have been talking about it. When someone wants to go digging to find rare peppies, where do you even find rare peppies? Man, it took, it took a second for me to, to figure it out as well. Um, and so rare pepe has like a bunch of its own sites. Um, there's like rare pepe wallet. Um, you have to, it exists on Counterparty, which is a dApp on top of the Bitcoin blockchain, which... Um, isn't the greatest app, but it's kind of what exists. Um, but on OpenSea, and this is what really opened my eyes to Rare Pepe's and um, thought it, this is going to be like definitely the winning jackpot, is that now it's tokenized on OpenSea through what's called Emblem Vault, which just began 
or they've been working on this project for a handful of years, but they finally launched it over the summer. And so you could take assets from other blockchains and basically you're putting in a vault or tokenizing it and then listing it on OpenSea where there is literally probably a hundred or a thousand times the eyes as there is on, on counterparty. So the fact that rare Pepe's are now existing on OpenSea to the Ethereum's and then also for the Bitcoiners that they could purchase their Bitcoin. Um, I have a thesis that, you know, Bitcoin maxis, they love to troll um, Ethereans. So this is just another thing to say, like, hey, our NFTs were first. We have Rare Pepe. Um, we're going to allocate a bunch of money, which we've begun seeing with uh, Jason Williams from Going Parabolic and a few other Bitcoin maxis who are kind of hopping on the trend. So um, I made this tweet maybe like months ago that I see what, what I see unfolding is there's going to be like this like tribal um, warfare where Rare Pepe is kind of in the middle and it's just going to continue to to uptrend, although there are so a little over 1700 different rare pepes which all vary from different supplies of one to one to one of one septillion so you you kind of have to do a lot of digging to understand just the the rare pepe um system and then also you have to do some digging to figure out counterparty which feels like you're on aol um, because it's so old. And then you also have to understand the arbitrage opportunities between those whales that have the rare Pepe supply on counterparty and then listed on OpenSea at 10x just because they took the ARB opportunity advantage of people who aren't um, DYORing. So there's a lot to go into, but it just it re reminded and just revitalized um, the Mooncat rediscovery, which was just a lot of information asymmetry. And those who are going to put the work in are going to be the ones that are going to catch the massive amount of upside. But as the NFT market right now is in a little bit of a correction, it's probably a good time because these are prices for Rare Pepe that it's about the same as when I was first buying about two months ago. Yeah, I mean, this really comes puts to the forefront. How bad do you want it? We've heard a lot from Jake uh, from Machine. It's been great. Uh, I have some questions coming in. I'm going to invite people up as they come to ask their questions. Again, thank you, Jake, for spending the time with us. It's been very informative. I want to just note, uh, as you hear from Jake specifically about how the NFT uh, market could be in a little bit of a correction right now, so this could be a good opportunity to get involved. Uh, just note the news from Coinbase yesterday that they're opening their own uh, NFT platform starting uh, hopefully later this year. In the first 24 hours, more than a million people have signed up on their waitlist uh, to join. So that gives you an idea of where we are and where we're headed. So if you think you're late, uh, you're not. It's early. Uh, you still have plenty to get educated, to learn and, and have some fun and, and get involved before the masses do. So just know that uh, from my own uh, perspective and also what we're seeing and just witnessing from a number standpoint. Uh, and with that, I do have another couple questions, but I want to offer uh pop up 405 uh a chance to ask his question so uh here he comes to the stage hey, how are you thank you for for joining us hop do you have a question hey yeah uh proud proud mooncat owner here uh hey jake uh you said that the archaeological dig uh you're expecting it to sort of end in q4 you seem like a pretty pretty well-versed nft historian curious why you said that the uh quote unquote, archaeological dig, you're expecting it to sort of end in Q4. Just would appreciate your uh, perspective there. Thanks for everything you do, by the way. 
Yeah, of, of course. Um, they, the, the most recent dig, which I've been, I've been following a few different historians as well. Um, it just like, it's not happening nearly as often for, I would say from maybe over the last three months, there was maybe one to three or four that would pop up every week. Now it's really one. I haven't seen another one. This like, they found an NFT on Ethereum that was from 2015, but isn't actually an NFT. So it's becoming much, it's up much less often. And now they've gone through the Bitcoin blockchain, um, which goes all the way back to Spells of Genesis from 2015. And so there's about 10 projects on Bitcoin. And then they jumped back to Namecoin, which goes all the way back to 2011 with the, the Twitter egg, which you've probably seen in some people's profile picture, and which was meant. And they have some sort of like DNS service on there as well. But outside of those three, unless they find another blockchain that predates Bitcoin that had NFTs on it, um, they're like pretty much out of room to like really digging unless they find something else on Ethereum. But even at this point now with, with um, crypto is highly um, driven by network effect. Um, once some of these archaeological projects get ahead of the curve, it's going to be nearly impossible for something new to pop up and overtake something like CryptoPunks or Mooncats or Rare Pepes, which is going to have um, a pretty large market cap. I think CryptoPunks has the largest one at $4 billion, um, but Rare Pepes can easily supersede that just because it has such a larger collection. So once you start getting some of these historic ones into the hundreds of millions or even the billions, um, something new that just pops up and predates it and might be a little bit older, it's going to have a hard time catching up just because of the network effect and the people and the community building because that's something that's an issue that we face with Mooncats is, yes, it's an, an older project, but we are, we've only been a community of six to seven months. And so we're much farther behind in community building terms than from like CryptoPunks or even Kitties or some of these, these older ones, even Rare Pepes, because they still have a lot of the OGs. Um, and that's it. As we, we've noted um, with the NFT space, uh, community is almost just as important or if not more important than the actual asset itself. So I think we're just out of room and then the just break away from some of the, the older projects is just going to make it nearly impossible for anything else new that pops up to catch up. I want to ask you, Jake, when it comes to, you know, you talk about community and we've, we've written about this at Investorly a few times now this year about NFTs and how they're way more than actually the asset. It really is the community that makes it. Uh, so it's a good description of where we are with the Mooncats and where we're sort of headed. When we speak about where we're sort of headed, two things. One, what's your thoughts on sort of NFTs on other blockchains that are not Ethereum? Uh, I don't I don't mind it. Um, I like innovation. So I, I'm a bit, I like Bitcoin. I'm a big supporter. I'm not an ETH maxi in any way. Um, I think some of the the older ones that are on different blockchains just speaks to uh, the the crypto space in general, just trying to see the things that's building on um, just to go all the way back to the very beginning of Namecoin with the eggs, which is literally just like the Twitter egg. And they were just trying to get a profile picture for um, Peter uh, linking their Twitter accounts to Namecoin at the time. That's why the eggs. And then you have to re-register it with a DNS every 200. I think it's like 250 days. So just the experimentation and it's kind of like the the bundling and unbundling of ideas where with Namecoin, they have a DNS, which has been unbundled to, to ENS. And then they have the profile picture hype, which is pretty much all of 2021. 
And then we have the, the Twitter integration, which is where crypto exists now. So that was like kind of the bundle ideas. And now they're just being unbundled and um, productized in a, in a sense. So um, I like it. I think it's bullish. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit tough, though, anything outside of Bitcoin um, to kind of build a brand. Bitcoin has a very unique um, collector base, but anything outside of that, I think is going to be really tough unless they somehow discover NFTs on Dogecoin. Um, I don't think, I think everything else is going to be pretty null. Yeah, I guess I was looking at sort of like the Solana ecosystem. You see a lot of Solana NFTs uh, coming about these days. I know that's a very active sort of uh, newer blockchain with uh, NFT action. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Solana, I, I think, is going to have some potential. There's a lot of active developers. Um, and there's there's ones like Flow as well. But then this just that just comes into my own speculation of like Flow is highly centralized. So it kind of just goes against my own personal ideals. Same with Solana, although both can have a path to decentralization. Um, and I do know in the future, uh, most of the NFTs are all going to be on one marketplace. And some of these metaverses are looking to integrate all the blockchains. So, you know, whether it's a year from now or 10 years from now, most people won't even know what blockchain these exist on. Um, so it's just kind of a combination of like, where is the value? Are, is the community uh, pumping and dumping it? Are they actually forming a community and building things outside of just the picture itself, unless it's just the meme? So there's a lot of things to take in consideration. Um, I'm not against any of them. I just think Ethereum personally is going to be like the the winning smart contract platform. It's going to have the most allocation, like same with Bitcoin. And so with that, it's like you might as well um, invest where the money is going to be. And I think there's going to be a premium on NFTs that were built on layer one in the future um, as blockchain um, continue to grow and everyone transacts on layer two. Um, some people won't even know what it is, so it'll be like its own educational piece within itself. Mooncat uh, is on stage, the Pink Panther, it looks like. Do you want to ask a question? Okay, cool. Yeah, so um, I'm actually a day one holder, uh, 339, and I'm a big believer in Mooncat's uh, early adopter. And I just wanted Jake uh, to pick your brain, you know, in terms of, you know, there's different subsets within the Mooncat community in terms of whether it's a Genesis or a day one or a pure or an alien. How correlated are these markets in your mind? Do you generally see, um, you know, this is maybe getting more into the metadata of everything, but do you generally see a correlation where if one rises, they're all rising or are they very different uh, within their own markets, depending on some of their properties? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. Um, they all are kind of based off the floor price, which is kind of unfortunate. Um, NFT machine kind of touched on this, which the 2017 floor price creates um, between a three to, I've seen upwards of almost 8x, the premium of the floor price. And so then that's how you kind of know where the arbitrage opportunity is. If the 2017 starts, then the 2021s are probably undervalued and it kind of goes back and forth. Um, and then the the premiums within the 2017 collection, right? You have 2017, then you have set, or you have the sub 1000, then you have the day ones, top 100, top 10, Genesis, they're their fourth. I don't think we have enough data yet um, on the like sub 100s and the top 10s to kind of know what the actual premium is. That's why I'm kind of excited to see what happens with this auction because we haven't seen really any top 10 sale of the, when I purchased this and uh, 
I think uh, Cooked One purchased number nine for 48 ETH. So the highest top 10 sale so far outside the non-Genesis is, is 48 ETH. Um, so I think it's still to be determined where those actual premiums are. But once but once some of these start um, getting away from your average retail investor, and like Michael spoke about um, Coinbase having a million people sign up for their NFT space, and they're allowed to purchase Mooncats with dollars, uh, the people with the dollars have a unit bias, as we've seen on Coinbase with buying meme coins. So they're going to go for whatever the, the, the cheapest is. And so then the floor price will probably start taking off and surpass its all-time high of 1.9. And then people are going to try to find the different premiums in there. So whether it be character cats or, or clones, um, that's why I keep talking about named cats from the 2017, 18, and 19 collection that were actually named in there. Beautiful Data, who's in this room, provided um, a, a write-up or a spreadsheet of what's named. Um, those haven't caught any sort of premium yet, but this just me speculating I am is that as the market matures, everyone's going to try to find what the different rarity metric is or what's a premium. I think that's something to exist. And also there hasn't been really that much, really that big of a expression premium. That was one of my first investment thesis. I thought smiling cats would farly outweigh any other one. And it does seem that they do at a small amount, but once the floor starts taking off. I think we're going to see some of these smaller um, niches within the Mooncat space begin to take off. But as of right now, the the uh, going back to your question, the the easiest correlation is the floor to twenty seventeen premium that goes between on average three to to six x, and that's how you can know what what's undervalued and what's not. Yeah, thank you so much. That's pretty uh, pretty insightful. Thank you. No problem. I'll just ask this as a, a going out question on my end. Uh, you, you talk about where level one, you know, layer one, layer two. I mean, where do you kind of see NFTs in, in 2025? I know that's a long time out, but just as a sort of a, an idea middle of this decade, what do you what do you see? I mean, do you see sort of the potential to have, you know, movies and, uh, you know, characters and gaming and stuff coming straight from NFT projects? Yeah, so this is kind of why, and I think my business is actually in here too, Chris Devitt. Um, we're creating an NFT incubator for, for Las Vegas within my business, Native Research, because we think the application is much, much broader than just, um, than just art and collectibles. And just pertaining to Vegas specifically, we've hit um, some regulatory hurdles within Integration Vegas, but they have, a, have kind of signaled that um, it's easier to integrate into the playground of the world through NFTs because you could do things like um, event ticketing, tokenizing real world assets, um, any sort of uh, redeemable asset, physical asset through through NFT. Like there's so many different utilities with IP and patents that it's just going to always going to continually expand. And then they're always going to look back first NFTs where they're going to see that it's mostly pixelations of something or memes. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be much, much broader than just what we have today. Thank you, Jake, uh, from my end. And Danny, uh, you want to close us out? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Oh, excuse me. Thank you, Mooncat Mike. Um, he's, <laughs> he's been renamed, everyone, just uh, letting you know that. So you have to uh, refer to him as Mooncat Mike. But do you have any final thoughts on, like, if someone has a question, uh, how they can reach out to you? 
Yeah, well, first, I just want to thank both of you, Danny and Michael, for giving me the opportunity. This has really been a great experience, not for just myself, but for the Mooncat community and those who are interested to learn more about the collection, but then also to um, have sort of established community. Like at one point, we had with almost 130 people in here. So, um, it's really awesome to see. Um, this next week and a half, I think, is going to be very pivotal for the Mooncat community, regardless of whatever the, the final price is. Um, I know with auctions, people tend to have moon boy numbers and it never, ever reaches that. Um, I'm not looking for that. I'm just looking for, um, you know, some accreditation for moon cats and for help build a, a brand for, for myself. And uh, next week, um, there's uh, Sotheby's is supposed to host multiple Twitter spaces with um, all of the different collectors. So look out for those because um, all of those people have a massive audience. Um, so we'll have even more attention on Mooncats and I can help um, share my insight. And I'm sure 888 will talk about his Genesis cat and his thesis on that as well. So um, yeah, please just reach out to me. I'm easiest is on Twitter or uh, join the Mooncat Discord. I'm very active in there. Um, I will answer um, as much as I can, which has um, almost become detrimental to me because now I'm asking, answering the same question in the DMs 400 times a day, but that's okay. Things that we got to do to bootstrap the community. So yeah, thank you guys for hosting this and for everybody who's been here um, since then. If you're out here, if you ever come out and visit Las Vegas, hit me up. We have a blooming, I mean, blooming NFT community out here. Our last event, we had over a hundred people and um, there's a lot to be built. So whether you reach out to me digitally or in person, um, I'm here to, to share the knowledge. So thank everybody for being here. We'd like to thank Jake Allen and NFT Machine for a great conversation. To stay informed of future conversations, subscribe to the Investorly newsletter at investorly.substack.com. Investorly, invest early in yourself.